Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium. Well, welcome aboard. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. And uh, our mandate there is to demystify science, separate sense from nonsense. And I try to extend that to you every Sunday afternoon here from 3 to 4. As we chat about the world of science, I ask you some questions that trigger some interesting discussions. Let me uh, begin by uh, putting a question out there. Why did Hitler not allow Germans to receive the Nobel Prize? If you know the answer to that, 514-790-0800 is the number. That's the number to call with whatever comment and question you have. Also, you can also text your questions and comments to 514-800. Let me get to a topic that uh, I addressed uh, this morning uh, on the trivia show. Okay, here we go. In the 1930s, France passed a law banning the hunting of monkeys in its colonies. Well, why were these animals hunted in the first place? Not for their skin, not for their meat. The hunters were after their testicles because they could make a pretty penny by selling these organs to doctors in Europe who would then implant them into the scrota of aging men who were looking to be rejuvenated. This uh, monkey gland fad began with the experiments of Serge Voronov, who had studied medicine in France after immigrating from Russia at the age of 18. Here in France, he trained after, under Dr. Alexis Carrel, a surgeon who actually won the Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology in 1912 for his method of sewing blood vessels. And uh, that uh, basically pioneered uh, organ transplants because when you transplant an organ, of course, you have to do a lot of sewing on blood vessels. And he introduced the techniques that would do that. Well, that technique would be put to a rather curious use by Voronov. And that happened after he had become acquainted with the research of Dr. Charles Brown Secard. Well, Brown-Sécard was a noted French physiologist who had injected himself with the macerated testes of dogs and guinea pigs, and he claimed to have regained his youthful strength and his sexual prowess. Wernov then figured that this effect was due to chemicals found in the testes, and the need for repeated injection of these extracts could be averted by directly implanting a testicle into the scrotum, which would then release its contents as needed. Well, his idea was supported by his observation of eunuchs, who had, uh, he had encountered while working as a physician in Egypt. And he had noted that these uh, castrated men had very flaccid muscles, they were lethargic, they had memory problems, and he attributed this to the lack of whatever chemicals were being produced by the testes. So he began to experiment. He grafted the testicles of younger sheep and goats onto those of older animals, 
and claimed that the older animals regained their youthful vigor. <laughs> but as you can imagine, living donors for testicles were hard to find. But Voronov had an idea. He approached the French government, and believe it or not, he struck a deal with them for the testes of executed criminals. So, as soon as uh, they were dead, he would go, excise the testicle, and uh, because of the publicity that Brown-Sicard's self-treatment had received, uh, there was no shortage of men who were willing to undergo this operation of the testicle uh, implant. And really the term that should be used is implant, uh, not transplant, because uh, uh, the testicle wasn't connected to anything. It was just implanted into the scrotum. Uh, but pretty soon there were not enough men who were being hanged to meet this need. The next best donors, Warnoff figured, were our cousins, the apes. On June 12, 1920, he implanted slices of chimpanzee testes into the scrotum of a man, and he claimed a successful outcome. Other such operations followed, and Voronov presented his findings at the International Congress of Surgeons in London in 1923, and he received wide acclaim. Soon doctors in other European countries were following in his footsteps, creating a shortage in monkey glands that then precipitated the French law prohibiting the hunting of these animals. The popularity of the surgery had already begun to fade at that time because patients were saying that the claimed benefits uh, were not being manifested. You know what? That really wasn't surprising because Brown-Sicard's original optimistic accounts were undoubtedly due to the placebo effect. Why? because the amount of testosterone in the extracts he self-administered was negligible, since the compound is insoluble in water. The implants were also useless, since while the testes, of course, do produce testosterone, they do not store the chemical. Now, today we, we know this because uh, uh, recent experiments actually carried out in, in Australia uh, took some uh, dog uh, testes, and they performed exactly the same procedure on them, macerating them, as was described in Brown-Sicard's papers. And then they measured the amount of testosterone in those extracts and found that, indeed, the amount was negligible. So, obviously, whatever Brown-Sicard noted was the classic placebo effect. While Warnoff is the most famous of the physicians who carried out testicular implants, uh, mostly because of the very large number of, of cases, uh, he was not the first one to perform such surgery. In 1915, George Frank Litston in Chicago implanted testes from accident victims into older men. Why? Well, he was aware of the long-standing knowledge that loss of the testes was associated with loss of virility and also with loss of fertility. And he knew that there were claims going back to the time of the ancient Romans, when Pliny the Elder had said that sexual stimulation uh, could be carried out by dining on hyena genitals soaked in honey. And in the 13th century, Albertus Magnus, noted physician, had actually recommended 
powdered hog testicles steeped in wine as a stimulant. As early as 1904, Lidstam in Chicago had experimented on animals, and before his pioneering surgery in 1915 on a patient, amazingly, he became his own guinea pig by sewing a cadaver's testicle into his own scrotum with the assistance of a colleague. He reported, quote, a marked exhilaration and a buoyancy of spirits. Uh, unfortunately, there's sort of a dark side to Lidston as well, because he believed in eugenics, and he thought that transplanted testicles could cure homosexuality, which of course is total nonsense. Uh, others also had such uh, bizarre beliefs. Dr. Leo Stanley was a physician at San Quentin Prison in California, and he carried out a large number of very questionable operations. He carried out a number of, of vasectomies on, on uh, inmates because he convinced them that uh, their, their tendency towards crime was because of uh, extra hormones being produced by, by the testes. Uh, and he also uh, performed transplants. He took the testes from executed men and uh, transplanted this into other inmates. The the reason that he did this is not so clear, but uh, he did report that uh, uh, there were benefits, that the inmates who had received these transplants felt younger. There were also stories floating around that some of these testicles were being sold to rich men who wanted to rejuvenate. Anyway, uh, by the 1920s, accounts of testicular implants had hit the media. And so they increased the demand. People thought, gee, if two testicles make a guy masculine, why not three? A black market arose with accounts of men being chloroformed and falling victim to testicle larceny. Uh, this was mostly happening in, in Chicago. Uh, there were these stories, uh, it's very questionable, you know, whether or not this really was larceny because there were uh, also accounts that people were willing to sell one of their testes to men who were willing to pay a significant amount of money for them. Anyway, all of this business of monkey gland test testicle transplant and human testicle uh, transplant and all of this uh, sort of ground to a halt by 1935. Why? because by then testosterone had been isolated from testes. And today, of course, we know that this is the main male uh, sex hormone. And uh, this really began the age of testosterone therapy, which is not without its own controversies. It is not exactly the fountain of youth, as some uh, suggest, but there are some uh, clinical indications that men who have very low testosterone levels in the blood may benefit from testosterone therapy. Uh, but uh, there are different ways of doing this because testosterone itself, as I said, is not soluble in the blood. Uh, so there are transdermal methods. There, there are ways that the testosterone molecule itself is somewhat adjusted to make it more soluble. Anyway, that's another story for another time. 
Right now, it's time to check traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, let's go to Irene. Irene. Hi. 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 I want to try that Hitler question. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, he, if he had been nominated and won, he would have had to broke his own code to accept. And then I think he got very angry when his, um, oh, his critic Carl von. Us to see he I think he won in 1935 and after that happened he banned all Germans from accepting the Nobel Prize. This is true. In 1937, uh, Osiecki won the Peace okay. Prize, and uh, he was a strong opponent of Nazism. That's and right. Yeah. Is, yeah, and this is what caused Hitler to say that no German can receive the uh, Nobel Prize. Oh my gosh! I can't believe yeah. I got it. Yeah, you got it. And uh, that uh, certainly had consequences because there were a lot of uh, German scientists who were, you know, at the oh, top of the were, heap yeah. when it comes to science. One of which was actually Adolf uh, Butenand, who ties in with what I was talking about before, because he was the one who synthesized testosterone. Okay. And he was, he was prevented from uh, getting the Nobel Prize. He eventually got it. He received it in 1949 from the Swedish consulate in, in Frankfurt, belatedly, although he did not get the money because the stipulation uh, that Nobel had put on the prize is that the money must be dispensed within one year of getting the prize. So, because uh, Butenant had won this before, uh, 1949 was too late for him to get the money. The same thing oh. happened to, to Gerhard Domag, uh, who received the prize in 1939 for sulfonamide or Pronticil. That was the first ever real antibiotic. And he was even imprisoned for a few days for accepting the honor. But he finally received it again in 1947 after after the war from, the, from the Sweden. But uh, again, he didn't get the money because it was too late for that so uh yeah so that's the story why hitler did not allow uh any german, german. to get the nobel prize okay very good you get credit <laughs> all right uh, so let me replace that question with another one <clears throat> water heaters uh, such as you have you know in your in your home and in, in the basement that heat the water for your the tap and shower they're usually fitted with a magnesium anode, and that is to reduce corrosion. But this can occasionally cause a problem that would be noticed when you use the water. What problem is that? So what problem might you notice because of the presence of this magnesium rod in your water heater that is put in there to reduce corrosion? You know the answer to that? Five one four seven nine zero zero eight hundred. All right, I I don't know if uh, Edward uh, was on to answer that question over something else. Edward, uh, I will try that. Is that the sacrificial uh, rod that is in the hot water hot water tanks? It is a sacrificial rod, but that's mm -hmm. uh, the question is what would you notice in the water as a consequence of this? Uh, yellow color. 
Not a yellow color. No, no. Hello, so, but I have some, a question. Yeah. Sorry. I have a question to ask you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. About that. Uh, it's about iron. We're talking about uh, scrotum and men and all that. Uh, excess iron that is absorbed from cereals that have vitamin C in that, and said that helps uh, absorption of iron in men. And this is the best way to get rid of it because women get rid of it, uh, like menstruation and all that stuff, you know? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so what you think? Men- what you're thinking of getting rid of excess iron in men? Yes, yes. Well, it's it's very rare that 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 is a situation that arises, except mm-hmm. in a condition known as hemochromatosis, right. where 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 bleeding would actually be indicated, phlebotomy mm-hmm. is indicated. But otherwise, you don't worry about uh, too much iron. It's, it's more likely to low levels of iron that. Uh, that people are concerned with. Because so some cereals have 40%, um, you know? Uh, well, that, I mean, that's something, you know, you have to discuss with a hematologist what to do, uh, what to do mm-hmm. about that. Uh, but, you know, donating, uh, donating blood on a regular basis is a good thing to do for many reasons, including for your fellow man. But, you know, if you have iron concerns, that has to be discussed with a physician or, you know, especially with a hematologist. Okay, uh, what about James? Do we still have James on the line? Me. Happy Sunday. Thank you. James? Pandemic, beautiful Sunday. Yeah, I think with the water question, Yeah. uh, um, it it would, um, because of the magnesium, um, the the anode rod or whatever, it would... um, it would make the smell more like uh, like a sewer. Yeah, would... uh, yes, that that is exactly right. You would smell hydrogen sulfide. Exactly. And do you know why? Well, it's it's because of the chemical reaction. It's sort of like uh, in the bomb is the water. Well, there is a like reaction. Yes, eggs, the, you know? yes. So yes. Well, what happens is is that that there are uh, bacteria, all kinds of bacteria in water, of course. And one variety is a, is a harmless type of bacterium known as a sulfate-reducing bacterium. Mm-hmm. And these occur naturally in, in all waters, and they don't cause a, a problem. But sometimes they can convert to hydrogen sulfide. Right. They can release hydrogen sulfide, and that's the classic odor of, of rotten eggs. And uh, the presence of magnesium as a corrosion inhibitor enhances that reaction. And uh, the only thing to do if this happens is to use a different kind of corrosion inhibitor. And there are other uh, rods that are made of different substances than magnesium that will do the same thing. So whenever someone has this uh, uh, rotten uh, egg smell in the water, you can consult a plumber and ask whether or not you have uh, a magnesium corrosion inhibiting rod in your boiler and if so you can try to replace that with one of the the other uh, metals right right so that's that's the remedy for so, that problem so no okay? prize for that eh <laughs> no there's no no the the prize you gain well, is the, the prize knowledge. i got is i'm covid free and i'm happy <laughs> well that's a pretty good prize that's a pretty good fr- prize right yeah, as as far as COVID goes, this week we actually don't have much of uh, of an update. Nothing dramatic has happened. The uh, vaccination uh, seems to be proceeding pretty well, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, I mean, they they set another uh, record, I think, this weekend. 
in terms of uh, the number of people that they're uh, vaccinating. And their cases seem to be going down, although ours in Canada, not so. Uh, we now are on a per capita basis doing worse than, than the Americans. Why? Uh, it really is not clear. I mean, some, I, I don't know why the, the, the measures that are being instituted really are, are not working. They should be working. They should be. I mean, if, if, if you're not in contact with other people, there really is there's no way that, that this virus uh, transmits. So the only, my only guess at it is that people are congregating. They, they are congregating in religious uh, institutions. They are having uh, meetings, encounters at home, which involve more than just uh, the family. Otherwise, we would not be seeing this spread. Of course, there's also the, the possibility of schools. That's sort of an open question, whether or not um, kids are bringing it home. Uh, so... I don't know what more to say uh, about this. I mean, the, the situation just doesn't seem to be uh, getting better. And uh, I, I just don't see any reason that one would, at this point, you know, lift the restrictions because uh, we're just not doing well. As far as the AstraZeneca fear goes, uh, again, even if there is a, a tiny risk of, of these blood clots, uh, it is so small. I mean, we're looking at the possibility of 40 cases out of over 25 million people vaccinated in Europe. Uh, that That is, is really, really a, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. And your chance of getting a blood clot from co contacting uh, contracting COVID is far, far greater. So although at this point, yes, Pfizer and Moderna seem to be the better vaccines, I still think that if you can get the, the other one, uh, get it, it's more important to be vaccinated. All right, we've got to take a break. We'll check the CTV News. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes. Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. All right, let's get the next question out there. In some U.S. states, capital punishment is carried out by means of a gas. Poisonous gas is actually generated in the gas chamber when the executioner introduces pellets of a white substance into a clear liquid. What is the gas that is generated in this fashion, and what are the chemicals used to generate it? So what gas is used in the execution chamber, and what are the two chemicals, the solid and the liquid, that are used to generate it? You give us a call at 514 790 0800. Well, I was talking earlier about this whole business of testicular uh, implants uh, for rejuvenation and to reduce aging. But I mean, the fact is, we can't avoid aging. Uh, every passing minute brings us one minute closer to the end. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. It isn't a pleasant thought. Uh, so it's little wonder that the term anti-aging has been seized by marketers of various cosmetics and health supplements and 
exotic juices and dietary regimens. Uh, indeed, anti-aging medicine is a growing field with numerous biotech companies working on drugs designed to combat the aging process. Well, of course, the quest for immortality is not new. The ancient alchemists sought to turn base metals like lead into gold in order to find the secret of gold's immortality. After all, the metal would not tarnish. It maintained its beautiful sheen and seemed to last forever. If only they could find its magic, they could perhaps apply it to humans. But they never did find the secret. Lead is still lead and the alchemists are long dead. This is not to say that there are not some intriguing possibilities that may help slow down the clock. As we age, an increasing number of our cells enter a stage of senescence in which they no longer divide and begin to release chemicals that cause inflammation, resulting in damage to tissues. A buildup of senescent cells, sometimes called zombie cells, is a hallmark of aging. Can anything be done to prevent this buildup? Maybe, at least in mice. When researchers at the Mayo Clinic injected just a small number of senescent cells into young mice, their speed, endurance, and strength uh, that had eroded now returned to their youthful uh, nature. Uh, when the mice were treated with uh, uh, desatinib uh, and quercetin, a combination of drugs known to destroy senescent cells, they recovered most of their lost physical capabilities within two weeks. Quite dramatic. But let's face it, mice are not people. And while quercetin is a safe compound that's extracted from apple peel, desatinib is a very expensive leukemia drug with loads of side effects. Still, this experiment is proof of principle, demonstrating that destroying senescent cells with so-called senolytics is worthy of exploration. However, slowing aging may not be a matter of what we do, but what we don't do. Eat. It may be that if we want to live longer, all we have to do is eat less. Calorie restriction has been the only surefire way that scientists have found to slow aging in animals from rodents to monkeys, and now we're beginning to accumulate data that suggests this applies to humans as well. The idea that less is more when it comes to eating is not new. Hippocrates noted that fat people were more likely to die suddenly than slender, and Avicenna, the famed Persian philosopher and physician, suggested that the elderly should eat less and uh, they would uh, feel younger. Venetian nobleman Luigi Cornaro may have been the first to put a restricted calorie diet to a test in the 17th century when he came to believe that his health was deteriorating due excessive partaking of food, drink, and sex. He then restricted himself to no more than 350 grams of food a day, 400 milliliters of wine, and he lived to the ripe old age of 98. He documented his regimen in a book, Discourses on the Temperate Life, and uh, described how the changes he made in his lifestyle allowed him to remain in vigorous health well into old age. Today, members of the Calorie Restriction Society that has the goal of increasing longevity are following in Cornaro's footsteps and are acting as human guinea pigs. They consume no more than 2,000 calories per day, 
which is just over half of what an average North American wolves down. They don't do this, though, by eating half servings of hamburger, fries, or pizza. They do it by following a diet high in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, beans, and fish. And according to a study published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, the austere regimen is paying off. Researchers examined the heart function of 25 members of the Calorie Restriction Society and, to their amazement, found that the hearts functioned like those of people 15 years younger. But permanent hunger is, is not appealing, is it? So I, I guess I should not end that little commentary by saying bon appetit. Okay, I think we have Fred on the line. Fred. How are you, Dr. Joe? Okay, what's so, up? Uh, so the answer to your question is the gas produces hydrogen cyanide. Yes. The solid is sodium cyanide and the liquid is hydrochloric acid. Very good. Um, any kind of strong acid, be it hydrochloric acid, sulfuric nitric acid, will react with uh, a cyanide salt, whether it's potassium cyanide uh, or sodium cyanide, and re release uh, hydrogen cyanide gas. Right. Uh, and um, hydrogen cyanide possesses the, the somewhat uh, pleasant odor of bitter almonds, but uh, that is where that pleasantness stops. It kills very quickly. Right. And you don't need very much. 250 parts per million in air is immediately fatal. And basically what cyanide does is it shuts down the body's ability to produce energy by the normal process of respiration. Um, the human body requires energy, of course, to perform every vital function. And in respiration, oxygen combines with fuel, which is mostly glucose, to produce water, carbon dioxide, and energy. In order for this to happen, cells have to make use of an enzyme. That enzyme is called cytochrome oxidase. And that's the enzyme that is inhibited by the presence of hydrogen cyanide. And the supply of oxygen to body's inner tissues may still be plentiful, but the cells cannot utilize the oxygen uh, effectively. Uh, of course, hydrogen cyanide under the name of Zyklon B was the gas used by the Germans in their gas chambers during World War II. Uh, exposure to hydrogen cyanide can come about uh, outside of gas chambers also. It can be produced when certain substances that contain nitrogen burn. And things like wool, silk, nylon, and polyacrylonitrile fall into that category. And, but you need intense heat. And, uh, you know, if, if you have some, some uh, carpeting or such material, it can release hydrogen cyanide. And firemen have to contend with this problem in modern buildings which may have a lot of synthetic materials. And uh, in an intense fire, uh, though hydrogen cyanide itself will burn to produce uh, uh, carbon dioxide and nitrogen dioxide, and that, that's of uh, no concern. So anyway, that's the story of, of, uh, of this gas. And indeed, it, it was the gas used in, in, uh, uh, in the Auschwitz gas chambers. And I'll tell you a little story here is, I, I bought a book this week that was advertised on the Barnes & Noble website, and it's, it's called The Chemistry of Auschwitz. And I thought this, you know, because it's chemistry, and it would be interesting for me. I thought they would talk specifically about, you know, uh, how they use the hydrogen cyanide and some of the other uh, chemical experiments that, that the Nazis performed, abhorrent experiments that they performed in, in Auschwitz. I thought that's what I would get. 
But it turned out that this book was actually a Holocaust-denying book. And uh, the basic tenet was that that, uh, there was no hydrogen cyanide being used to kill people. Uh, There were only gases that were being used to de-louse the the, the people. And that uh, uh, it's a total myth that that millions of people were killed. Uh, In fact, they all fled either back to Russia or to Israel. I mean, totally ludicrous stories really infuriating, uh, especially that this was on the Barnes & Noble uh, website. You would think Barnes & Noble is a reputable company, and they would not have such uh, Holocaust-denying books uh, for sale. Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show, on CJAD 800. Okay, one uh, final question for today. Uh, what is the connection between Kim Kardashian and Bram Stoker? What's the connection between Kim Kardashian and Bram Stoker? If you know the answer, you give us a call, 514-790-0800. I think we still have Margaret hanging on there. Margaret. Yes. Hello. Go ahead. Okay. I have, like, two questions for you. On the Pfizer bottle, it says, like, how much of a dose you should be getting. Would you know that? Uh, in terms of what? What What does it say? Uh, like, you know, they, they uh, usually they put on the, uh, the bottle. Uh, the, uh, oh, num- you mean, like, how many micrograms it contains? Yes, whatever. yes. Yeah. And, like, how much should be in one shot? Like, they say how many shots uh, that people that can come out of the bottle and, well, and I, I know i mean this i know this the story that you're referring to is that normally there should be five doses in a bottle uh-huh. but if you do it carefully you can squeeze six out of it okay but and, and what what quantity would that be it's in the microgram range i mean i don't i don't uh, know all point oh comma three is that enough yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that would be in the microgram range. Yes. yes. I mean, it is it is it is possible to get six doses out of out of the bottle. Okay. It is possible if if they do it carefully. Uh, and uh, another question is, I have to go for a CT scan, and uh, on my uh, lungs, and um, I'm wondering, does the iodine have any effect or something or? Uh, Usually not. There, there are people who, who uh, can have a reaction to it. So, you know, you can't say zero. I mean, the, the, these these kind of what called the opaquing media. Uh, it's it's possible. It's possible to have a reaction, but they're you know they're ready for that. Yeah. They, okay. they know what to do if it happens. Yeah, because like I I I know usually the iodine doesn't bother me that, but I have yeah. wondered with the vaccine. It's, it's if... very it's very very unlikely to have a, a reaction to these opaquing media, but okay. it's not impossible, but they're ready for it. Okay, I thank okay. you very much for your help, sir. Okay, okay. okay. All right, so the uh, question is um, the connection between Kim Kardashian and Bram Stoker. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you know those television commercials uh, 
for raisin bran or magazines where you see that there are two scoops of raisins in a box of raisin bran. Unfortunately, the ads don't make clear how large these scoops are. Uh, nor do they shed any light on why zinc oxide is listed as an ingredient on the cereal box. And it is, if you look, look at it. It's the same zinc oxide we smear on our noses for protection from uh, treacherous sunshine, the very stuff we rub on babies' bottoms to prevent diaper rash. Since we hardly have to worry about our bran flakes getting sunburn or skin irritation, why is there zinc oxide in a cereal? Well, the story starts with some Iranians of short stature. In the 1960s, Iranian military officials noted that an unusual number of young men eligible for army duty could be classified as dwarfs because of their small size. Not only were their bodies short in stature, their hair distribution and testes resembled those of young children. About 30 years earlier, researchers had already shown that test animals would exhibit growth retardation and testicular atrophy if they were deprived of zinc in the diet. So now doctors decided to check the zinc levels in the potential conscripts' blood. Sure enough, these were considerably lower than the general population. The diet of the poor Iranian villagers was based almost exclusively on cereals. Although cereals do contain zinc, they also contain chemicals called phytates, which prevent the zinc from being absorbed. Furthermore, many of the young men indulged in a strange habit of geophagia, or clay eating. Clay binds zinc in the gut and retards its absorption. The final proof for the link between retarded growth and zinc deficiency was established when dietary zinc supplements resulted in growth and sexual development. Obviously, zinc was an essential human nutrient. Uh, there have even been some intriguing studies suggesting that zinc supplements can boost the immune system and reduce the symptoms of the common cold. And of course, we've talked about this in the past few weeks because of stories of the use of zinc uh, to treat COVID or potentially even to prevent the, uh, the disease. There's, there's no question that zinc plays a role in the uh, immune system, but it is one of these nutrients that you also have to be careful uh, about overdosing because if you take too much zinc, it reduces copper absorption by the body and that can be a, a problem. The amount of zinc that we need on a daily basis is very little. It's about 10 milligrams. And so uh, supplements, the supplements are, are sort of in, in the range of, uh, uh, you know, 40, 50 milligrams. And you certainly do not want to go uh, over that. Uh, but uh, uh, taking a small supplement of zinc is, is, is not a problem. Uh, however, uh, I should also point out that the, the evidence here in terms of COVID is, is, is certainly not clear. Uh, what I think we can say is that people who have a zinc deficiency because they have a very, very poor diet are more likely to get any kind of an infection. That includes uh, COVID. But this is not likely in North America because zinc is in, indeed found in all kinds of foods, in, including meat. So although it is indeed a very important nutrient, and you know that's backed up by the story that I just told you about uh, about Iran, uh, certainly uh, uh, taking just zinc supplements randomly without looking at amounts is is not the thing to do. 
All right. Well, that's uh, about it for today. I don't think we have yet an answer to my question, so we will leave that hanging uh, until next week. And uh, uh, the, let me just repeat the question. Uh, I was asking you for the connection between Kim Kardashian and Bram Stoker. And uh, it is a interesting connection, and it will make, I think, for a very interesting and somewhat unusual story. So you have a week to think about that one. Well, anyway, that's it for today. I think we learned something about testicular transplants. You learned something about uh, zinc as well uh, and about aging. And that's it. But we will be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Josh Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.